Our guest host today is Alexandra Goldman, who sits down with artist Franklin Evans to discuss two current exhibitions at Miles McHenry Gallery in New York, Fugitive Misreadings at 520 West 21st Street, and You Again, curated by Franklin Evans at 511 West 22nd Street, as well as his current museum show, Franklin Evans, Franklin's Footpaths at the Fig Museum in Davenport, Iowa. Today, on the White Hot Magazine Art World podcast, with your host, Noah Becker, uh, that's me, enjoy this guest host, recorded especially for this podcast, for your listening pleasure. Hello, my name is Alexandra Goldman. I am Associate Director of Miles McHenry Gallery and founder of the art publishing platform Artifactoid. Today I'm here with the brilliant painter and installation-based artist Franklin Evans at his current exhibition at Miles McHenry Gallery, Fugitive Misreadings, which is on view until July 31st at 520 West 21st Street. Franklin additionally curated the nine artist group exhibition, You Again, concurrently on view at the gallery's 511 West 22nd Street location. He also has a solo exhibition on view at the Figgy Art Museum in Davenport, Iowa, titled Franklin's Footpaths, and is in three group gallery shows in Europe, in Milan, Bologna, and Switzerland. It is an incredible, eventful summer for you, Franklin, and I'm thrilled to have this important conversation with you about your works amidst them here in the gallery. Many thanks for joining me this evening on the occasion of our White Hot Magazine podcast episode together. Oh, thank you, Alexandra, and thank you, White Hot Magazine. I'm excited to dialogue with you. I as well, so let's jump into it. In Raphael Rubinstein's wonderful essay on the exhibition Fugitive Misreadings, he notes that Harold Bloom in his 1973 book, The Anxiety of Influence, depicted the dialogue with one's predecessors as a Freudian battle for psychic and artistic dominance that often hinges on intentional misreadings. These works are filled with bountiful imagery of your artistic predecessors, as well as some of your contemporaries, combined with additional images from books, online, and from 24 years of living and working in your studio in New York. How do you go about selecting the images you choose to include in each work? Well, that's um, a challenging question, but I think usually I am it's intuition. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's like mystery about a work, at, and it doesn't matter whether it's canonical or it's um, an undiscovered artist. If there's a mystery about a work that, I, I, that raises a question about the work, or, and sometimes, but not always, a relation to my own work. Um, I have several examples of, you know, like it's this loose thing, but it's kind of like you know it. Like, so John Dill, for example, was uh, my professor in graduate school at the University of Iowa, and he has a very special way of painting. So the way he paints is the primary sedu- seduction. I mean, imagistically, it's also quite special. It's like this, like you know, language of a of regular butte in a, in a landscape, a tree, waterfalls. Kind of like this, like, m- 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 I think American modernists kind of 
um, mysticism. But it's, it's the, the way he paints is the, what drew me into it. And so I have John in two paintings here in, the, uh, in Fugitive Misreadings, one in a painting called Misreading Landscape into Art, which is a reference to Kenneth Clark's um, art historic piece on landscape into art. And I also have him, John, in my Iowa footnotes because a painting of his is in the permanent collection at the Figgy Museum. So John's a weird one, I think, and a very good example. Um, a weird, probably wrong, but very good example of what's happening. So like in graduate school, I noticed the way he painted, but he, I just thought that's really strange. I don't know what's going on. I, as a young person, I didn't think about it so much, but I kept seeing him pop up in shows in New York at um, various places, um, group shows mostly. And I remember seeing him in a group show at Andrea Rosen in the mid 2000s and I noticed this kind of wonderful undercolor zones that were being captured and I kind of, and this may be wrong, but my memory is he almost had almost intensely um, pigmented, like, like more bright colors as an underpainting. And I like from a distance, I could see this grid. Um, and so that just like, like it, it triggered me like to think about what, like, what is he doing in this paint? And then he modulates with layers of actually dry brush painting. But when I first was exploring it, I'm like thinking, oh, he's pulling things out. So he seems like such a, you know, like a, that's a, like a really clear example of why something just stops me. So I also have um, the artist Jackie Gendel, who's also in the group show at um, you again, but um, she populates a couple paintings, um, most prominently a uh, painting behind us, um, Tishina Tilt. So, um, and, then, and at the opening, Jackie was here with her partner, her husband, Tom McGrath, who's also on the show, good friends that I've admired their work for a long time. Um, she was looking at the painting and she didn't see herself in it. Tom noticed it. Other artists in the, at the opening noticed it. And, and it's a painting from 2019, um, Untitled. But it's like, for Jackie, it's like this kind of, I remember meeting her in the mid-2000s, and I went to her studio. I'd already seen her solo show in a different body of work in Williamsburg Gallery in early 2000s, which was this kind of rich, I mean, rigorous, like, encaustic, almost etching, you know, like a new, more white, mute ground, but with spots of color, but figurative. And I visited her studio, and she'd moved into the work we know now, like like the one painting that I do have in uh, from 2007 in um, You Again. And it was like, I could see the rigor of like how she had worked through this kind of re-emerging figuration that was populating early 2000s. I think most prominently an artist like Dana Schatz or Nicole Eisenman. And Jackie was, you know, like many of us, we always have to work through what is present, what's, what's powerful, how do we talk to our culture now? And if we're admiring it, we have to work through it to find our own place. And she had done that. Like she'd like done these, it's like figures, but she cancels out. Like, and she gets just to the point where you like, you go like, oh, it's not just about, you know, presenting a portrait or idea, but it's this, it's this material of her paint. Like it's you, material is as much the subject. Like paint is this, like dimensional, like like especially an oil paint that you can have slight low relief and um, so like you know that's an, like that type of work. So many of her works, I've you know I've, I've absorbed, I've photographed, I've printed. So she's an easy you know like I mean it's it's a mystery of of how you you know connect those two things. Um, 
And then I mentioned Matisse, you know, like Matisse is all over my, my work. Matisse didn't exist in my brain space until the mid 2000s. Like, and I, I recently quoted because I've repainted a Matisse in the Figgy Museum to scale a painting that I had seen when I was in graduate school but have no memory of. But so like Matisse, you know, wasn't around, but now he is. And like I have the piano lesson, the boy from the piano lesson, in multi, especially in, in um, decentering face space, and is painted in a lot of different iterations. But what I love about that is like you know like you see this is like this canonical head, and it's so every time you I look at it, I feel like I've learned it. I go and look at it at MoMA. I take images. I painted it in. I feel like I've got it and. And then it's not. Like, I return to MoMA, and I'm like, it's not quite. It's something else. Um, but I don't try to make it that thing. It's more the process of, like, rethinking that. And sometimes the piano, um, the boy from the piano lesson, um, has become my own um, version. Like, I'll re-photograph a version of that. It'll get printed out. It'll become, like, a source image for my, you know, this kind of loop of painting. Um, so, and I... Do, I have one more, one more really good example. I mean, I have like two more, but I, I guess I could go on and on. But I do want to just mention, like, sometimes it's not just material or painting, but subject. So, like the Holly Solomon image from Liechtenstein, it was really like when I learned that I'm uh, uh, sorry, painting from Liechtenstein was uh, the model or either a portrait of Holly Solomon. I drew a parallel or a connection to Miles McHenry Gallery because I know Miles has some relationship to Holly Solomon, like Judy Pfaff came out of that stable, the pattern and decoration. And also, I think Miles had mentioned his relationship with Holly's son in, in Los Angeles. And when I saw that and learned that, I'm like, I'm printing it, I'm gonna use it. So, so you know, many ways. That's incredible. I love how organic these paintings seem to come together with works by people who have been present throughout your life as an artist in New York, combined with figures from history as well as artists directly from the group show and how there's that beautiful synergy there. And it almost seems like, as Raphael Rubinstein also noted, that in a way these works are a form of self-portrait of you, but through these visual references and experiences. And I would love to speak with you about um, how narrative comes into play within these different works in terms of possibly um, portraiture and otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think he calls them citational self-portraits. And I feel like in so many ways, um, that's what I, I, I present. So it's like, I mean, the story I am telling is the um, autobiography of an artist, but specifically as an artist. See, I mean, in other installations, maybe I've revealed a little bit more of the biography outside of the artist, but largely these paintings are the artist, the painter, who's thinking about a lot of other, other painting. So, um, and I think what's interesting, in, and I'm allowing for right now, is that it's not just um, a consideration of the work in, um, over a long trajectory. It is that over a long trajectory, but I'm allowing for myself to shift. So like as like a, you know, I was formed in the undergrad in the late 80s, grad school in the early 90s. So when the canon was Western, 
you know, in, th in these schools. So a lot of, you know, I still have great admiration for Matisse and Cezanne and giants of the 20th century and modernism and Titian, you know, I'm going and stretching back, but I'm allowing, and I wasn't, it, they weren't, it wasn't as available, like voices of otherness, um, whether it was um, black and brown bodies, queer bodies, women, um, in these paintings they are replete with all those new voices that are of our, our ethos now, our cultural ethos. So like in one painting, um, pigment polymer paint splat, so it's a reference to what it is. Uh, I have a Carrie James Marshall and Jane, uh, Jacob Lawrence. So Jacob Lawrence visited my studio when I was in grad, graduate school at Iowa, left a great impression. Um, I didn't know his work as well as I should have when he visited, but we had a wonderful dialogue. So he's, he's been located in the work in a, a fair amount, but it's, it's like, He's one of the artists who did get some due earlier, um, but um, Carrie James Marshall is an artist whose voice has kind of resonated for a while, but he's giant now. He's an amazing painter, and I think specifically I have a, a portrait of the artist coming into being as a female portrait, so like in, in that. And, and you know, so I'm allowing myself, or the queer voices of like uh, Lou Fertino is in that, he's, you know, circulating around Matisse and also a young artist who's under-recognized or not that well-known is Carl Jones, but it's like he did a series of puppet portraits that I just thought, and he posted them on Instagram and I'm like, those are, and I know him a little bit too, but I went like, they became available to commune with all of these other face space artists. Um, and another thing that I've found really compelling while reading up on your work, which has so many layers to it, is that um, even the title of your exhibition at the Figgy Museum, Franklin's Footpaths, and the work in this exhibition, Franklin Footpaths 15 to 20, and the way that these works kind of look like they're swirling around in a map-like way or even a mental map, it reminds me of Mesoamerican and Aztec cartography where the, um, the artists who created these beautiful um, Mesoamerican maps would actually draw or paint footprints going along them as an integral part of how to understand the map. So it's understanding space and time in terms of actual footpaths walking across it. And it really resonated I think with me and thinking about you and your own Mexican heritage and how you've brought that into your work in different ways and I was wondering if you've, you'd been thinking about um, codices and your different ties to your own Mexican heritage in these ways. Um, yes, I am thinking about that. I mean, I think not as rigorously as, you know, the, the map, the, the way you're describing the mapping. I mean, I see these as brain space mappings, but included in that brain space mapping is, is a revisiting of my heritage. Um, and I, I deliberately am, am, am using uh, Mesoamerican uh, paintings on ceramics. Like you, you'll see in Titian Tilt, the whole skirt is like this, like these, the same head that keeps um, flipping direction. So it's looking at itself. It's also then hovering among you know, modernist art. But, um, and so it's, it feels like a new, and as what you've just described becomes really available subject. As I'm just, I'm beginning to delve more great, more um, fully into the heritage that is half of me. It's my mother is from a Mexican 
American lineage, and so Franklin Evans could easily be Franklin Garcia. So I'm, you know, it's it's very available, and I like your comment. Just gives me, you know, like a fuel for for future oh, for future I'm exploration. So glad. Thank you. So, additionally, I remember when you first came into the exhibition and saw it on view for the first time, you mentioned how the paintings suddenly looked different to you outside the studio than they did inside the studio. And I thought that was just such an interesting comment for an artist and a real behind-the-scenes look. And I was just wondering about some of your thoughts on the works, both while they're living with you in the studio and then when they come out on display here in this gallery space, or even versus um, how they might appear in an, a large installation like at the Figgy Museum. Yes, I mean, I mean, even as we're sitting here right now, I've, I think I've mentioned, I'm going to mention is like the paintings keep changing. So the more you spend time with anything, like I understand the objectness of the paintings here. But what, what, what all this comes out of, like my, my practice has a, uh, it's had a long discourse with Daniel Buren's 1971 essay, The Function of the Studio. I'm a, an artist that shows the studio process as subject and my, part of my studio process is the exploration of painting. So I, he, he provocatively, and I think you know, maybe powerfully asserted that the studio and, as a production site and its relationship to the exhibition space as a consumption site are in contention. And in both realms, the artwork is, moves towards extinction. So like if the artwork he advocates that the artwork is more of itself when it's in the studio because you have the context, but it's staying only in the studio never has uh, the opportunity for life with the viewer. So it dies. And it, when it leaves the studio, like the painting or the sculpture or the more traditional art, art, artwork, it loses context and it loses the power of what the lighting source was, what the wall color is, what the height of the ceiling is, and so it also becomes diminished and maybe arguably also moves towards death. I don't, I think I'm, that is deliberately provocative by, uh, from Buren at that time, and I think he's had ensuing pieces that maybe negotiate more fully, but I'm like, I'm using that. I'm like saying my work is about um, it's non-death both in the production place, the studio, and the consumption place, the exhibition, and it can be both production and consumption in both places. So like in the installations, I'm showing the studio as a snapshot of time, like all the working processes during that period of time of making the work. And I show various provisionally state, um, stated, uh, works in variously provisional states in the installations. And in those installations, I am like, so that consumption also becomes productive because I learn more about the work. So for example, I know this painting here, um, Franklin's Footpath 15 to 20, is a painting that took from 2015 to 2020, it was finished, but it, it existed in multiple installations before in various states of finish as not necessarily as a painting, but as uh, something that was pushing towards its finish, its, its way to be finished. So I learned a lot by seeing it on the site. So like that becomes an active studio um, as that I show, but it also is generative to the object. 
Um, and then here, you know, I'm more embracing that these are objects. And I, you know, they left the studio, you know, unstretched. They went to the, the, the stretcher bars and like seeing them here for the first time, tightly stretched as their objects, knowing that they have very specific borders where the canvas is, um, allows the gessoed image to hover. Um, I, I, I get to see them and I get to allow the paintings to be the, the, the stars that they are ready for their close-up shot, you know, like. They absolutely are stars. And I can say from being in here and looking at them on a day-to-day -day basis, they've got this gorgeous bright color palette that's also quite elegant and earthy and you almost pull viewers into the studio with you in each one so your works have this very specific effect in which it's not just either or in the studio or in the gallery you have your um, painted illusions of little bits of tape here and there and things that really make these feel like raw work so closely connected to their moment of creation while being in the gallery space. So I think that's really special about your work. Thank you, that's terrific. Um, I'm hoping that those places collapse and, um, and there's a, it's a really generative place to keep you know, negotiating where one makes and what, where one sees. Wonderful. And now I'd love to spend a little time talking about you again, the incredible group exhibition you curated featuring works by Pedro Barbado, Jackie Gendel, as you'd mentioned, Elliot Green, Josephine Halverson, Fabian Marcaccio, Tom McGrath, Tracy Miller, Ann Peibel, and Eric Wolf. Uh, the exhibition is about this wonderful concept from DJ Immergut's novel, You Again, in which an artist in New York keeps seeing or possibly hallucinating a doppelganger of her former self of 10 years prior wandering around the city. In the exhibition, You Again, you have each artist include one work they created about a decade ago, juxtaposed with a work they created recently. I'd be fascinated to hear more about what you like to notice and learn from seeing artists current and former works in dialogue with one another and how this idea of incorporating the past into the present manifests in your own practice as well. Well, um, the novel, You Again, really led and parallels so much my own thinking. So you described that very accurately, the past sees the future. It also is a special novel because it's, um, it's the artist is, arrives in the 90s. That's when I arrive at about the same age. So it resonated in, in, tremendously. And when I met Deborah Jo at McDowell, we talked about our own past experiences at Iowa. She had been at the Iowa Writers Workshop. I had been in the MFA program. So, you know, like this is an example of how we are, we're a collection of our, of everything around us, you know, and, and some, some more acutely because we have stronger relationships, and that's to the uh, sub, other subjects, and um, that is all nine artists in this show, so it's wonderful. I've known them for more than a decade, every one of them, and um, arguably, like, one work in this show is um, that you know, resonated is, is 30 years apart, actually. His work is Fabian Marcaccio's from 1991, and he has a 2021 piece also. And um, 
I feel like with like Fabian's work, I'm, I'm, you know, like, I get to see this radical painting. Like, he, like I think the title of his piece from the early '90s is "Alter Genetics of Painting Series." So he's just doing like he's like I'm breaking the rectangle. Not totally a new idea, but a radical gesture nonetheless. Like I'm going to still give you an object. I'm giving you a painting, but I'm using all these other materials, um, like silicon injected with oil, like the the stretcher bar is uh, exposed, it's broken. It's amazing. And it, I think he's kind of interesting because it is, this is the one with the longest span, 30 years. Uh, you get to see also the subject of the early 90s. And you don't see, like, we're, we're replete with the, the figure, you know? So, and I think his 2021 piece, The Bride Rejected, has a figure. It's a bride, it's a referencing a Duchamp, the bride strip bear, the bachelors even. But I think even, and they're both radical and you see his through line as an artist. But this new work, you also get to see his new tools, the, the 3D printer. And he's got like parts of it that like just like extend from the surface some like more than 15 inches. But it's a painting. It's lost its, you know, it looks like it's lost its whole support, the stretcher bar. Um, and I think what's really wonderful about it also is he's talking about, you know, a, a subject 100 years old, Duchamp, and the bride strip bear, the bachelor's even, but it's, a, it's more imagistically a machine of a crucial moment of d determinism. Or, and I think, I think Fabian points to, I'm working with a machine also. So like, I feel like you see through line, you see time, and you see like a continuous artist. Um, and I think another artist, I think like just kind of almost at the opposite spectrum, I, I, you know, maybe on the younger, like one of the newer people that I discovered was Josephine Halverson about 10, more than 10 years ago. I saw her work around and she has two paintings. Um, they're both of the same subject, they're tombstones, one from 2008, one from 2021. And um, I think the text on each one is, is super powerful. You know, like one is uh, Memento Mori, and it's like, you know, we're, I can't, I'm not doing it justice if I can't read it, but, um, um, but it is basically, we're all gonna, we owe, we owe a debt to nature, and we're gonna die, and you will too. He's like, you really like, goes like, oh, yes. And it really hits you, it's regular, and then you also, Mrs. Mary, the newer piece, it, um, it is, uh, the, the details of the text show, like, someone who dies at 18, the age of 18, so young. And, but you, you see the dates on both of those pieces, 1756 for Mrs. Mary and 17, I think, 92 for Memento Mori. Um, they make sense, you know, like in a sense, like they connect to us. People were married much earlier. Maybe it seems to allude to something like, you know, unfortunately young, but it's not surprising in the context. I love how she flips the dates. So the newer painting is actually an earlier date, like 1756, and the older painting is 1792. Um, so that's like, you know, like powerful in her painting. She helps you like think beyond just this as a painting, but then you're like so like just like um, fully encompassed by her world of how she paints. So the older paintings, oil on linen, you see her beautiful touch, her like, like uh, neutral palette. And it's like, uh, she's almost like carving the inscriptions with her, 
various ways of brush stroking, direct, some kind of like wobbly, some like just barely touching parts. Um, and such a clear understanding of how you modulate such a narrow tonal range. So just fabulous painting. And then in the newer work, she's, you know, she's had such success in that work. She's doing, she's, it's gouache on panel. So you have to paint differently when it's like different speeds. You can't kind of noodle it. It's not like wet on wet. So you see what she does. She still has great attention to brushwork. And she does almost like, a, I feel like it's like, a, flourishes of brushy cross-hatching to then describe specific tones. Like, so it's just like, you know, this wonderful visual magic that you see also a through line of an artist that reaches into new, new material. Um, so, you know, past and present, they, and like, I think for all of these artists, I hope they get to like look at themselves and say, this relationship maybe gives me, um, instruction or opportunities for our, their future in their studio. I think it's so interesting how some of the artists have more um, upfront and obvious differences between the older and newer works and others are more subtle and you wouldn't exactly know at first glance, but both have, have their own um, things to learn about in their own ways. And um, so there, there's just so much going on for you this summer, Franklin. And um, thank you for taking the time to be with me here, having our amazing talk. I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you. So um, if you wouldn't mind sharing what, what is next after all of this. Yeah, thank you, Alexandra. It's, it's great spending in evening with you to discuss your late afternoon early evening discuss all this um i think there are there are lots of nexts you know like the figgy museum i know the next way i'm going to approach an installation and um uh using subject of a site museum site um but i think um i have three paintings coming out of the figgy that are going to be the next painting. So the documentation image of those, I, I already know that. And I think the last, I mean, I hope I get to curate you again, you again, you again, again, I mean, like a, another version of it at some point, someplace. But I know I'm definitely going to make the painting you again from these nine artists in this current show with this current work. I mean, it's such a uh, ripe opportunity and it just feels like this give back and forth among the cohorts of artists is, you know, like, um, at a loss of words. It's like, you know, it's, it just feels so available and so right. I cannot wait to see your painting of you again. It fits right into your practice and everything you've been working on and will just be a wonderful culmination of all of these great endeavors. So thank you again. Thank you. Everyone, please come visit Franklin Evans' Fugitive Misreadings at Miles McHenry Gallery's 520 West 21st Street location, and you again, curated by Franklin Evans at our 511 West 22nd Street location. Thanks for listening. <laughs>